Well, as I said earlier, we're beginning a new series, and it's entitled Miraculous Births. And as I was thinking about it, you know, there's a sense in which uh, every birth is miraculous. You know, you can just ask any of these parents. Any, uh, any parent who's holding a, a son, a newborn son or daughter, has that sense of the miraculous nature of life that, uh, that you hold close to you. Just, it's clear to you. But the Bible reveals that some births are more miraculous than others. And during the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're just going to look at some of those. And some of you are familiar with, and maybe some you're not. Uh, but my hope is that as we work our way through this, uh, this will help you keep Christmas in perspective this year. Because every one of us needs to remember, you know, we have this tendency to become familiar with the Christmas story, the miraculous birth of Jesus. And it's important that we understand that it's, this is an amazing, unique, special moment in all of time in history. And um, to keep Christmas in perspective, we've got to remember that some of these births are, it's not just a normal birth. This is a miraculous, amazing, astonishing thing that God became man. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on that. And uh, this morning, for the next few minutes, we're going to be talking about two interesting examples of miraculous birth that are recorded in the Bible. The first can be found in Genesis chapter 1, the first book, of, or not Genesis chapter 1, in, in the, the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Actually, it starts about Genesis 17, if you want to read about it after a bit. But uh, we're going to talk about the miraculous birth of Isaac is the first miraculous birth we're going to talk about for the next few moments. And uh, how many of you remember... Abraham and Sarah. So some of you, many of you remember, some of you may be not familiar with Abraham and Sarah. Uh, but uh, when the Bible tells us when Abraham was 100 years old, Genesis 17 goes on and tells us that God said this to Abraham. Regarding Sarah, your wife, God said, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And you kind of say, well, why does God change your name? Do you, the name Sarah means princess. So God changed her name to princess. That's kind of cool, isn't it? I mean, would you like God to change your name to princess? Maybe not if you're a guy, but, you know, if, if you're a, a woman, that's kind of a neat thing. Verse 16 continues and says, And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Now remember, how old is Abraham at this moment? 100, okay? I will bless you and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly. She will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. The scripture said, how could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how could Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? Think about that. So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Now, let's pause for just a moment right there. Some of you, I'm sure, remember the story of Ishmael, right? I mean, God originally told Abraham 25 years earlier, prior to this moment, he told Abraham 25 years earlier that he was going to give him a son. That was the first time God told him this. And so... Uh, Abraham began to hope and pray and long for that day and... Uh, Years passed. Decade passes. Sarah is still childless. The years keep ticking. They're thinking, our biological clocks are past due. 
You know, this is what's going on in their heads because they're not naive. See, sometimes we read things about people in the Bible and we think, oh, well, they're, you know, they're just naive. No, they're not. They're smart. They understood this probably better than we do. They understood that this was a problem. So in despair, in an effort to help God's plan along, Sarah told Abraham to sleep with her maid. Her name was Hagar. It was a common practice in ancient times in instances of childlessness. I mean, we don't quite understand that in our day, but that was the practice often then. So Abraham did it. Hagar gave him a son named Ishmael. It's about that son that Abraham said to God in Genesis 17, 18, these words. He just says, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Because, because Abraham could not conceive of how he was going to have a, a son at this stage of the game or how his wife was going to have, Sarah was going to have one. But look at verse 19. God, at verse 19, replies, no, Sarah, your wife will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac. And I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. And as for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. And when God had finished speaking... He left Abraham. And if you know the story and read on in the text, you discover that just as God promised about a year later, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, became pregnant and she gave birth to a son, Isaac. And Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. I don't know about you, but in my book, that qualifies as a miraculous birth. That ain't normal, but it happened. Do you know what was as miraculous as Isaac's birth, though, to me? And when you read the scripture, you know what was as miraculous as that? It was Abraham and Sarah's faith. At 75 years of age, when God first spoke to Abraham and tells him he's going to bless the whole world through him, he's going to give him a son, and there's going to be descendants, the whole earth would be blessed. God tells him this, and he begins to hope and wait. I, I don't know about you, but 75, you start th thinking to yourself, is this really going to happen? And then the clock ticks, and the weeks, and the years, and Abraham continues to believe. And Sarah believes. They waited, the Bible tells us, 25 years patiently. Believing God's promise. I want you to listen to what scripture tells us about the faith of Abraham and Sarah, the forefathers of our faith, by the way. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. It was by faith that Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. The Bible's just acknowledging this fact is all it's doing. It goes on, it says, she believed that God would keep his promise and so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them, which is exactly what God told Abraham would happen in ancient times. 
Romans chapter 4, verses 18 and following adds this. Even when there was no reason for hope, and of course the Bible is saying, you know, other than the word of God, there was no rational, from a human standpoint, reason for hope. Abraham, the scriptures say, kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. That's a pretty good verse to underline in your Bible. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Let's just pause there and look at this. How convinced was he? Fully, fully convinced that God is able. Not, not that science is able. Not that, we're not talking about some, some artificial insemination here. We're, we're, he believes that God is fully able, powerful, capable of doing whatever Whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, the text says, God counted him as righteous. You want to be righteous in the eyes of God? It's not going to be because of what you do for God. It's going to be integrally tied to who you believe in. It's not about what you do. It's about who you believe and what he can do. Verse 23 says, And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now hear this. The story of Isaac is a story of miraculous of the miraculous faith of his parents. It was it was all about that. Was it a miraculous birth? Yes. But the crescendo of the story was the faith of his parents and it was recorded for us that we might learn to walk in their footsteps of faith, that we might learn and choose to believe as they believed. That whatever God says he is going to do, he is able to do and become fully convinced of that. What was true for Abraham and Sarah was also true for Mary and Joseph, Jesus' mother and adoptive father, which brings us to another miraculous birth. It's told about in the Bible. This one many of us are more familiar with. It's the miraculous story of Jesus' birth. For any of you who may not be familiar with the biblical story of Jesus' birth, you know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was an average, poor Jewish young woman. She grew up in a below-average Jewish town, a little village, wasn't a city, it was a little town, a little village called Nazareth. One of the early followers of Jesus reflecting on the city of Nazareth when he heard that Jesus was from there. You know what his response was? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
That was his opening words. It was not known, its reputation was not some notorious, glorious, king-worthy kind of place. It was a backwater town, forgotten, sleepy, joked about. The Bible tells us in the New Testament book of Luke chapter 1 that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David, the Bible tells us. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, the Bible says, Mary tried to, tried to think to herself what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, How can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Parenthetical thought. We'll talk more about that next week. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for the word of God will never fail. You hear the echoes? The echoes. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. What was her response? I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Let me just say a word in light of recent news junk. This is Mary's consent for any who are in the fog on that. And then the angel left her, the Bible says. Matthew 1 tells us more of the story. It adds these thoughts in, in verse 18 and following. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement. Quietly, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let me just pause right here. When it says that you will name him Jesus, you are to name him Jesus. Do you know what the Hebrew word for what his name was, it's Yeshua. And every time you say the word Yeshua, you are literally saying salvation. That is what the, what the, the word Yeshua means. And so the scriptures are saying, in essence, and she will have a son and you are to name him salvation. And he's being emphatic by going on and saying, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. 
look, behold, as some translations say, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, again, it's another one of those words, Emmanuel. What it literally means is God with us. They will call him God with us. That's what the angel is explaining. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and told Mary his wife, or took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Salvation, Yeshua, Jesus. Now, I think that Jesus' birth qualifies as a miraculous one as well. But you know what was as miraculous as his birth? It was Joseph and Mary's faith. That they could hear what they heard and believe what they believed. Just as Abraham and Sarah believed God, Joseph and Mary believed God. They believed that the word of God would never fail. They believed that nothing was impossible for God. If God said it, it would happen. It would come to pass. Which brings me to an important question for us this morning, and this is really key if we want to keep Christmas and life in perspective, and that is, do you believe that? Do you believe that about God? Do you believe that the word of God will never fail? Do you believe that nothing is impossible with God? That when he speaks, it will come to pass whether you understand how it will happen or not whether it makes human sense or not to believe. Do you believe that God is a promise keeper and that he's not limited by the natural powers and order of things that you understand? But he, in fact, is God, and for him, nothing is impossible. You know, in light of God's track record, I want to encourage you this morning to remember an important principle when it comes to God and his promises. Here it is. The principle we find in Scripture is that those who learn to wait patiently for God without giving up hope are the ones who eventually see him fulfill his promises. Waiting is a part of the process. Abraham and Sarah and Joseph and Mary were richly rewarded for their faith, for their patience, and you will be too, I will be too. So this morning, if you happen to be wondering about one of God's promises given to you as one of his followers, will you choose to wait in faith? Because it is a choice. We can wait in anxiety, and many of us do. That's our natural inclination, even those of us who are believers, is to wait and think, God, God's going to get around to it. Maybe I need to help him along. How did that work out for Sarah? Not so well. Go back and read the rest of the story of Ishmael. You could argue that the descendants of Ishmael and Isaac to this very day are still feuding. It's still a sibling rivalry. We don't have time to explore the, the fullness of that, but the Middle East is a mess because of this. And let me tell you something, it probably ain't stop until Jesus returns. UN or no UN, 
Trump peace deal or no peace deal. It's rooted in something far beyond politics. We choose to wait in faith, patiently. Maybe you've got a job issue. Maybe it's a relationship that's a problem. Maybe there are financial concerns. Maybe there are health-related things going on in your life or somebody who's dear to you, and you're just, just waiting. Maybe you're waiting for something else, and God has made a promise to you related to this, and, and you know it. Maybe it's flat-out fullness of Scripture. Maybe... Maybe he's spoken to you by his Holy Spirit in some way. And the temptation is to become impatient. The message of Christmas really for us this morning is will you choose instead to wait in faith? doesn't mean you need to deny reality or ignore what's going on. It just means that reside in a place of full conviction that God can do anything he wants to do. And if I heard him right, this is what he's going to do. I suppose it's possible that Abraham and Sarah could have wrestled with, did we hear God right? They probably wrestled with that for about 25 years. It was probably a, a frequent dinner conversation between Sarah and Abraham. Sarah looking at him and said, what did God say again? <laughs> you know, they're ready to, you know, it's, it's bedtime again. And she's saying to him, you know, 60s, 70s, you know, her, her clock's tick. And she said, I don't know about this promise. You know, she just wants to roll over and go to sleep. But the fact is they're rehearsing the promise of God in this moment. And question for you and me was will we believe will we have faith will we trust that nothing is impossible with God will we cling to hope and remember that God is a trustworthy promise keeper and since he made good on his promise to send a son to Abraham and Sarah and since he made good on his promise to send a savior for you and me Maybe we just need to trust that he can fulfill his promises made to us and wait and trust. And here's part of why that's really important. Scripture is really clear that God doesn't specialize in making promises. That's our world. That's politicians. They trade in the commodity of promises. See, it's the world we live in. That's every commercial you'll watch today during the Chiefs game. That's every, you know, this, is, this is the world we live in. We make promises. Promises sometimes we half intend to keep. Sometimes promises that we know people want to hear so that we can manipulate them in some way. But the truth of Scripture is that God doesn't specialize in making promises. He specializes in keeping them. That's who we serve. So keep that in mind as you think about Christmas this week. Let's stand together. We're going to close in prayer. Maybe some of us this morning need to recognize and just confess Christ. Maybe I mean, the whole point of his coming was salvation.
And literally, that's his name. Salvation for you, salvation for me. Maybe this morning what you need to do is just look heavenward and just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming. Thank you for coming to save me, a sinner. Would you cleanse me? Would you make me yours? Think of these kids we dedicated this morning. The day will come when they need to understand that and will will choose Jesus. Maybe you're just one of those grown-up kids. You've known this for years, but today is the day. And you need to look heavenward and just acknowledge what your parents knew, what you in your heart of hearts know, but what you've never really had the faith and the courage, the humility to look heavenward and verbalize. So maybe today's the day. Just say, Lord Jesus, you're God, not me. Cleanse me. Make me yours. Maybe some of us need prayer for something this morning. Uh, If so, uh, come on down afterwards. We'll be happy to pray for you. Uh, We're thrilled that you're here. Hope that you'll keep thinking about these miraculous births. Go back and read Genesis uh, 12. Really read through 22. Genesis 12 to chapter 22. It's 10 chapters. You can do it. I know. I know you can do it. And reflect on this and uh, be reminded of the father of our faith. All right, let's bow our heads and pray and then we'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come to save us. And we, uh, we honor you for that. And we, this morning, just dedicate our lives to be yours. We want you to cleanse us to be, we want you to be our Lord, our Savior. You're not just king of Israel. We want you to be king of me, my life, my present, my future and destiny. And God, I know that every one of us is just asking you to do the same for each of us. Would you hear us? Would you honor our faith, weak though it is compared to Abraham, weak though it is compared to your, to your earthly parents, Mary and Joseph? We, uh, we just honor them for their faith, but we honor you because you've made it possible. Lord, as we think about the Christmas season, help us to reflect on these things. And may our faith become more fully certain than it's ever been. That just as you came, after waiting for centuries of a promise from the prophets, just as you eventually came, the day is coming when you will soon return again, just as your word has said. Because nothing is impossible for you. We thank you that you're coming to receive us to yourself. So Lord, as we head out today, may we reflect on these things. May we live our lives with a recognition that you're God and we're not. May you go with us and help us to learn what it means to walk in faith like our ancestors have done. And we'll give you credit for the good that results. Go with us now. We lift this prayer, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.